feels very much like the world's on fire. It's in the midst of this pandemic and we're being told to stay home because home is the safest place to be. Home is the safest place to be. And I think about that statement and I apply it to my experience. And I'm thinking, to the new widow, is home really the safest place to be? Or to the victim of domestic abuse, is home really the safest place to be? Two valuable perspectives, which inspired today's episode. Hi, I'm Nudwin. I'm your friendly neighborhood widow. Episode six is Let Me Out, Please. So before we get started, turn up your volume for the reading of the warning label. Warning! Subscribing to this podcast can expose you to segments and conversations about love, loss, physical and emotional abuse, mental health, and resilience. This podcast contains raw and unfiltered thoughts and feelings from a domestic violence surviving widow. The side effects may be unexpected anger, inspiration, self-esteem boost, and laughter so strong you may pee your pants. An open mind and a change of undergarments are suggested, but not required. And if you need to, please consult a therapist before listening. Thanks for joining. I have decided to break this to you in two segments. In the first segment, I will discuss the widow. And in the second segment, I'll discuss the abuse. Isolation is a preferred vacation spot for the grief monster. Widowhood is a very confusing time. If I take you back to my experience, I had no idea how to deal with these new emotions. Here I am, this freshly baked widow, and I don't really know what I'm feeling because in the same sitting, I can feel both loss and anger and more loss and more anger and pity for myself. And it's this, and it's this awful grief cocktail. And you're thinking, this isn't for sharing. This is for me to sit here in this corner in the darkest parts of my emotions by myself and not reach out. I used to obsess over and answer questions. Actually, I'm going to play you a clip from a time that I got together with my girlfriends and my sisters, and we talked about their experience of my grief. And my sister was 14 at the time, and she said something, and it just set the tone for everything I'm about to tell you. Here it is. I couldn't, I couldn't literally couldn't do anything to help you. Did you feel bad about that? Not being able to do anything to help you? Yeah. And I felt like I could never do anything to help you. Because, like, I was a child. And some mornings, you would be on the floor sobbing, going through his stuff, and I would just lay in my bed because I didn't know what to do to help you. So, I felt very, I felt like I was there, but I wasn't doing anything for you. And I wish I was like, I could have done something to be like, more like, help with, than just to like sit there. In my experience, it was hard to know where grief stopped and where I started as a sister, as a friend, as a daughter. I isolated because I felt like I was my grief. I was my pain. I was my discomfort. Being in the space of others meant I was in their way. Because when you walk into a room as the widow with people who love you, you are the pain they just can't help. And you are the person that makes them feel inadequate, that makes them feel 
powerless because it's something that they can't imagine and something so new you may not know to manage. But the opportunity for isolation, the opportunity to hide becomes heavy enough until finally you're thinking, oh, I need to go out for air. For me, I want to go where it's loud, where it's distracting, where it's full of people. You meet strangers and it's the best moment of your day. Because until you say it out loud, you're not a widow. You're just a stranger with a nice shirt and a nice scarf. And what are you drinking there from across the bar? The opportunity for human contact and human interaction. It's the saving grace of widowhood. It's the little moments in which you get a semblance of normalcy. I want to go to work. Like I've said in a previous episode, it's where it's not about me. And it feels so good. So the times that I was in hanging around my sister's bedroom, traumatizing her and ruining the fourth thing here of her life, I was out seeking that normalcy that I was missing. It's not just grieving the person that's not in your life. It's grieving the person that you were when that person was in your life. There were so many fun, exciting things about you. You were what you love. You were your favorite food and you were your favorite fragrance. You were your favorite color. Someone's favorite sibling and even though they're not supposed to have any, and she can't deny that I'm not, you are someone's favorite child. And it's okay to remember that when you self-isolate. When you packed up your work snacks and saved that away message that says you're teleworking, I challenge you to do that. I challenge you to remind yourself every day the other things that you are, which is the coworker that always has the health snack. And every time you reach for the health snack, think on that instead. What Joey from the cubicle across the room would have said when he heard you open that box of organic cheesy puffs. Have a laugh about that. When you brave the virus and run to the farmer's market, pick yourself up a bouquet of your favorite flowers every moment. The little things that are you that create a positive reaction out of people. Make that your fuel. Don't allow the grief monster to take away what is an opportunity to recreate yourself, to really think on what now for you. I get it. I was the inconvenience. I slept on the twin mattress in the bedroom of a 14-year-old who all they really wanted was just to be 14. But don't take on that guilt. What I don't have on clip is the moments that we got to bond together in bed with animal crackers and watch TV to get to know my 14-year-old sister as one of the funniest people I've ever encountered. And there's that opportunity that I easily could have missed out on if I only focused on the negative part of the isolation. The day where recorded this clip in attendance were the closest of all my friends. Girls who, re- who truly lived this grief with me. Girls whose life I felt I was in the way of because I was their grief monster. And I learned that day that it was okay to reach out. And here's something that they learned that day. That they didn't have to let me be isolated. Like my sister mentioned, she didn't know what to do. And we all have that feeling, even me, even now. Knowing, when that, knowing what I know and, you know, battling grief daily and doing so much better as the years go on, when someone in my life experiences loss for just a moment there, I don't know what the right thing to say is. And then I remember everything is okay. All is fair game in grief and loss. If it comes from love, if it comes from compassion, then it's okay. All memes matter. The funny ones, the gross one. And in my case, Even the morbid ones. And having an awareness that someone should not be locked away with their grief is going to give you bonus universe points. 
While the grief monster's favorite hobby is to pick at your emotional scars, torment takes a new face when you have to live with your abuser. I'll tell you this story. After my spouse left my bedroom in that straight jacket, he was taken to a facility where they had him on watch. They were monitoring his behavior and evaluating him daily to ensure that he wasn't going to be harmful to himself or other people. Like any time that anyone's hospitalized, you have to have an emergency contact. And that much had not changed in our life yet. I was still the emergency contact. We never really lost touch. He checked on me daily. I checked on him daily. Here was the shocking moment for me. There was the opportunity to stay and to get help and the opportunity to come home. And he chose the opportunity to come home. And for the backstory, he just gifted me on the 23rd of December of that year, an orbital fracture, which is a fracture to what they call the orbital bone in your face. So my nose bridge, my eye socket, and my cheekbone had been alone in a little bit over a week, healing, regaining the sight in my eye, strong enough to plan how I would leave my plush comfortable hell. Then the uncertain happened. He'd have to come home. It's our home. And I was faced with a crazy decision. Everything I had, I banked on leaving. I couldn't think of how that was possible if he were home. However, the choice wasn't mine. And I think about mandated isolation and being sent home from work, from school, and every other daily escape out there. The gym, friends, extracurricular activities, also close. Your short-term escape closes. Your long-term escape plan is put on hold. You would think that this second section comes with all of the answers in the world. I wish I had answers too. Why can't he see that I love him? Why can't he see that this hurts me? Why can't they see? Or why me? All I have at this time is awareness to a situation, a call. To those who really don't know what this situation is like, just leave is not a moment's notice. It's a Months of planning, weeks of planning. Where will the kids be? For how long? Or when do I sign for my new apartment? In how long? Or have I been able to save my security deposit for my new place while also contributing to my household without anyone realizing? Or tomorrow was finally the day I was going to tell an adult at school. But the school year has ended. I sat here and I thought about all of this and I um, watched the world's media and And I listened to the conversations about the spike in marital disputes and domestic violence in this time. While it's not your fault, the high stress that's brought on by this pandemic, it works differently. High stress. Some of us take it out on a run. Some of us start a drinking challenge. (laughs) There's another tier of individuals who don't know another way to deal with stress, to deal with the lack of control by finding a person they control and exercising that control any way that relieves the stress. I remember this and I decided I'm not gonna be one of those people who bargain with God and then feel like it's okay to just let go on that promise. I took on that promise to live and to see again very seriously. 
And so in spite of having to wake up every day and be a loving spouse after applying the ointment on my eye, making breakfast, making myself available for marriage consumption if that's what they wanted, continuing to pretend we were happy again until the moment I knew it was time. I did what I still believe right now was the right thing. I got one trusted family member involved. I needed a backbone. Together we built and drew and rehearsed my escape plan. I then followed up with my local police department. And not only did they commend my decision, but they showed up to my home in number of four, including a sheriff who oversaw my every move and reminded me that I was within my rights to use my car as a legally married person without the fear of someone putting out a in car report as I've been promised earlier that day. I had to shake that shame and that fear. And like I've said in a previous episode, there's nothing more important than yourself. That shame, that fear, that embarrassment, that has no weight over the future that you're about to give yourself. If the story I just told is similar to yours, unlike what your abuser may have said, you're beautiful, you're valuable, you're smart, your life matters. You will succeed without them. In spite of the shortcomings that they say they love you for, in spite of the amount of money they put forward, in spite of their self-righteous analyzation of what they think God thinks about you and the value of your life, yourself, your life, is much more valuable than any word that comes out of their mouth. It has no real weight, not if we don't allow it. It's important that you speak out and you have the availability to speak out. While I don't have all the answers, I've made available resources that do. Because it's helped me in the past. I've sat in my garage and I've sat in my car. I've sat outside the grocery store. I've sat in my bathroom, away from the torment, and I've dialed hotlines. And the only thing that stood between me and my very first step and leaving this hell was my fear. All I had to do is let go of the fear of the embarrassment that may come later. I can only imagine the high stress, being mandated to stay home, feeling as though all of your escapes have been have been taken away. I will never have the answer of why people have treated us the way that they have or how our presence can ever be so bothersome or why the people who have bred us could also hurt us. I will never have the answer to how they feel and to why they say the things that they say, but I will always be sure that it's a them problem and not mine, their decision and not mine. And I will always promise you that if you make a promise to yourself to give yourself all of the things that you deserve while never allowing you to become what someone else was to you to break you, that'll take you further than you think. I believe there's value to these resources. I've made them available on notawidowshandbook.com for you. To someone who's locked away with their torment, if their torment is a physical person, I'll encourage you to make that call to click that link to fill out that form for now or for when the isolation and the quarantine mandates are lifted. Don't lose hope in your plan. If you're almost there, you're still almost there. And I don't know what it fully means for you, but there is 
light at the end of this tunnel. I hope you can hear me cheering you on. The life of the abuse is very private and oftentimes really well covered up and we only get to lend a hand when our phone rings and we hear it. The bereaved, on the other hand, we all know when it happens. So if you have good vibes to give and you don't know who to give it to, pick your grieving friend. Give them a call. And if they don't answer, that's okay. Just send them a meme, something funny, something that's a staple of your relationship, something that will revive their faith. Don't let them isolate with the grief monster. Remind them it's okay to reach out. Be the first one to reach out. And if you're the bereaved, send me your memes. I want to laugh with you. We'll talk later, okay?